Well, I want to welcome you to OCC, especially if you're a guest with us today, if you're watching online for the first time. And I want to invite you to open your Bible with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Today, we're going to be in week two of a message series called I Am. And for seven weeks, we're looking at the seven I Am statements that Jesus made about himself in the Gospel of John. And these statements, what are they all about? Well, they help us understand who Jesus is first and foremost, who he is as our Messiah, our Savior, and our Lord. Uh, Last week, we kicked off the series by talking about how Jesus is the bread of life. He said, I am the bread of life. Now, there are a lot of things in this world that promise, that make the claim that they can fill us up, that they'll satisfy us, that they'll give us purpose, uh, more wealth, more possessions, our jobs, hobbies, and even earthly relationships. But all of these things are temporal. They fall short of delivering on the promise. But Jesus, on the other hand, is the bread of life. Whoever believes in him uh, will never hunger or thirst again, spiritually speaking. So Jesus is the only one who can provide true fulfillment, who can provide satisfaction and purpose in our lives. And that's going to transition us to the second I am statement that Jesus made. I think this is one of the most life-changing things that Jesus ever said, and it happens to be about himself. This statement is found in John chapter 8, verse 12, where Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. So Jesus is the light of the world. And if we follow him, the promise is that we won't have to walk in darkness anymore. Now, I'm curious, how many of you as a kid were afraid of the dark? Go ahead and raise your hand up if that was you. Yeah, did you know? I actually found out this week that 11% of adults are afraid of the dark. So if, you know, the math is right, then a good little section of the church this morning would be afraid of the dark. It's actually more than uh, how many adults are afraid of heights, which is kind of crazy. So, yeah, wild fact for you today. Well, I was definitely afraid of the dark as a kid, uh, so much so that I had to have a nightlight on at all times while I was sleeping. Uh, growing up, I would sneak out of bed when my parents were still up watching TV um, because I didn't want to have to lay there in the dark all by myself. And my room happened to be just right around the corner from the living room. So I would quietly sneak out of bed. I would peek my head around the corner and I would watch TV without being caught. I was, I was kind of like a six-year-old ninja, you know, just creeping around the house without being detected. (laughs) That is until I got caught. And now that I'm a dad uh, with four boys of my own, I want to talk to the uh, the youth in the church for just a second. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. You know, when I thought that I was being really sneaky, when I thought I could get out of bed without being noticed, when I thought I could sneak food out of the kitchen late at night without leaving a trace, Uh, doing the opposite of what my parents told me to do without them knowing. When I thought all of these things, you know, they knew exactly what I was doing. Now that I'm a dad, I know exactly what my kids are doing. So you just think, you just think that you're getting away with stuff. But mom and dad, they know. Amen? (laughs) They do. Well, I remember sneaking out of bed one night when I was five or six years old, uh, peeking around the corner to watch TV and then quietly sneaking back to bed. And apparently I, I wasn't tired enough to fall asleep. So I decided to uh, try my luck again. I decided to get up for a second time. Well, I stepped out of bed. I made my way down the hallway 
And as I was walking down the hallway, this, this ominous dark figure started crawling towards me from the other end. And it started making some really weird noises, and it was gaining speed. So what did I do? I was in panic mode. I decided to run as fast as I could back to bed. Friends, I was 90% sure that I was about to get eaten alive. That, that's what was happening. Well, as the creature peeked its head over the edge of my bed, and my nightlight shone in just the right way, um, I realized that the creature looked a lot like my mom. You know, she knew what I was doing. She knew that I was sneaking out of bed, and she decided to scare me half to death because nothing else was taking. Nothing else was working. So now you know why I am the way that I am and have to have a nightlight at all times. (laughs) Why do I share this story with you? It's because a little bit of light changes everything. A little bit of light changes everything. You know, when you turn on the light, the darkness isn't as scary anymore. Throughout God's word, we read about how light um, is always contrasted with darkness. In fact, this is how God's word begins in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be, and what's the word? Light. And God saw that the light was good. And then he separated the light from the darkness. You move a little forward in history. During the Exodus, God led his people in their journey by light. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. In Psalm 27, King David wrote about God in this way. This is what he said. The Lord is my light my salvation. So why should I be afraid? That's a great life verse, isn't it? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Why do I have to be afraid? In the New Testament book of 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, the apostle John wrote these words about God. He said, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is, what's the word? Light. And there's no darkness in him at all. So throughout the Bible, God is called light. On the other hand, our spiritual enemy, Satan, is called the prince of darkness. There's always a contrast between light and darkness, between God and Satan. We see this contrast when Jesus made his second I am statement. He said, I am the light of the world. And if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. If you've grown up in or around the church, chances are you've heard this statement before. But I've found that many people aren't as familiar with the context in which Jesus made it. So this statement followed one of the greatest grace-filled stories in the Bible. It's a story that's commonly known as the woman caught in adultery. Look with me to John chapter 8. I'm going to read the entire story. There's only 11 verses. And then we'll go back and break it down into three parts so that we can better understand what we're reading and how it ties in with Jesus' second statement in verse 12 and how it applies to our lives today. So John chapter 12, or John chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered. He sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. 
They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. The first truth that we're going to pull from the text today is that God's law reveals our sin. God's law reveals our sin. And we see this in the first five verses. Um, John chapter 8, verses 1 through 5, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? So what's happening in this story? We know that the Feast of Tabernacles, it's a a very important festival, very important feast, had just ended. So Jesus decided to take advantage of the opportunity. He was ministering to all the people who stayed behind in the temple. Now, during the feast, word spread quickly around town that Jesus was not only in attendance, but that he was openly teaching God's word to the people. So these teachers of religious law, these Pharisees, they knew where Jesus was at. They knew where he was teaching. They decided to work together in order to catch him in the act. This was planned in advance. Now, somehow, this group of self-righteous, legalistic men, they caught a couple in the act of adultery. After catching them in the act, they decided to drag the woman out into the open for everyone to see what she had done. She likely would not have been wearing any clothing because they pulled her out of the house so fast. She would have maybe grabbed a sheet or something else to cover up with, but this would have been extremely humiliating for her. Think about that. And don't miss the fact that the man was never heard from again. He wasn't held accountable for his role in the encounter. In fact, according to the law that we read about in Deuteronomy chapter 22, both the man and the woman were supposed to be stoned to death. That was the punishment for their actions. When the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees said, the law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were referring to the law. They asked Jesus this question in order to trap him. You know, they wanted to accuse him of false teaching and of blasphemy. If Jesus would have said, yes, absolutely, you know, the the woman was wrong, she must be stoned, then what would happen to all the people who were following him? He was known as the teacher of, of compassion, of mercy, of grace. What would happen to his followers? They'd probably look at him and say, you know what, that's not what we signed up for. We're we're gonna move on. I think that's what the Pharisees and the religious leaders were hoping would happen. But on the other hand, if he said, no, the woman should not be stoned, then Jesus was openly breaking the law and he could then be arrested. So the religious leaders, they they tried to trap Jesus several times throughout his ministry. But on this occasion, 
They believed that they'd found the perfect trap. And it kind of seems that way. Before we move on, I want you to understand something important. That even, even though these men dragged this woman out into the open in front of the crowd, everything they said about her was actually true. According to the law of Moses, if you were caught in the act of adultery, your punishment was death. This woman was guilty. And the law only highlighted her guilt. It only highlighted her sin. It made it known. And this is what the law does in our lives. The Apostle Paul talks about this in the New Testament several times. And he's very open about it. And he even talks about his own life. And I love that Paul did this. Galatians chapter 3 verse 9. Writing to a group of believers. um, He says, why then was the law given? So here's kind of the answer of why the law was given. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. We know that's Jesus. And then Romans chapter 7, verse 7. He gets a little more personal. He talks about his own life. Well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. I would never have known that coveting was wrong if the law had not said you must not covet. So in the Old Testament... The law was given for a number of reasons. First, it was given to provide a sacrificial system for sin. Second, it was given to teach what God requires of his people, to show them how to live for him, to show right living. Third, it was given to demonstrate how the people's sin separated them from God. That's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. It builds a gap. And we know that only Jesus can fill that gap. Fourth, It revealed their sinfulness and their need for a savior. So they needed a permanent solution to their sin problem. So this woman was guilty. And and every single person who's ever lived throughout history, with the exception of Jesus, has been guilty of sinning against God. Even though we're all guilty of sin, and Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So even though we're all guilty of sin, we don't like to talk about the S word, do we? We don't like to talk about sin, especially our own sin. You know, we hear so often how important it is to to confess our sins to others, to, to share our sin with other believers. We don't like to talk about it, but we're all guilty. We've all fallen short of God's perfect and holy standard. And just like the law revealed this woman's sin, it reveals our sin as well. You know, she, she deserved punishment for what she'd done. And guess what? We rightly deserve punishment as well. But thankfully... Things don't end with the law. What Jesus did next is amazing. And the law reveals our sin, but the second truth is this, that God's grace is revealed in Jesus. His grace is revealed in Jesus. We read about this in John chapter 8, verses 6 through 8. So they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. You know, they, they didn't even care about the woman. They didn't care about restoring her, helping her. They jump right to just accusations. And that's what the enemy does. And we're going to see that throughout the message today. But what did Jesus do? Well, it's not what anyone would expect. (laughs) Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again. He said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. So they were trying to, to trap Jesus, but instead of entertaining their efforts, he stooped down and he started writing in the dust of the ground with his finger. 
Have you ever wondered what he was writing? I've thought about this a lot. Over the years, you know, when I, when I read this story, when I read this passage, I've thought about this several times. And if you've thought about this, you're definitely not alone. Now, while the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us what he wrote, uh, many scholars and theologians, they've given their thoughts on the question. I think there's, there, there's three kind of common ones, and I'll tell you what I think. Some have suggested that he was writing the Ten Commandments to remind his audience that the commandments had actually originally been written with the finger of God and that he himself is God. It's a pretty cool theory. Others have suggested that he was writing the words of Jeremiah 17, verse 13, reminding the people that all who turn away from God will be burned in the dust of the earth. That's what this verse says. The most popular theory is that Jesus was writing the sins of the men who were accusing this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And the reason this is the most important theory is for two reasons. One, later manuscripts actually say this, and the Greek word that's used suggests it. So the phrase um, began to write, or began writing, or stooped down to write, it comes from the Greek word katagryphen. Katagryphen. Now Gunner's going to love this, but on the count of three, let's say this together this morning. One, two, three. Katagryphen. That's a fun word, isn't it? Katagryphen. You know what this word means? It means to write down a record against. That's what it means. It means to accuse, to write down a record against. Since Jesus was God in the flesh, and because God is all-knowing, it's possible that he was writing down the sins of the men who were accusing this woman. Now, again, we don't know this for sure, but if you go back to the Greek, and if you look at some of the later manuscripts, that's what it suggests. Well, verse 7 says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again, and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. It was required by Jewish law that the accuser actually cast the first stone. So if you caught someone openly sinning, openly not obeying the law, if you caught them and turned them in as their accuser, it was required by law for you to throw the first stone, especially in this circumstance. Now, Jesus, he wasn't looking for someone who was without sin to step up and start throwing stones. That's not what, what he meant when he said, let anyone who's never sinned throw the first stone. You know, Jesus was the only sinless person there that day. He was referring to the particular sin of the woman, a sin that can be committed in the heart as well as with the body. So think about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. Jesus said, you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This was part of the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached. And Jesus taught that the act of adultery is sin, but so is looking at another person who's not your spouse lustfully or with the intent to commit adultery. And this brings up an important truth for us this morning, something that we need to be reminded about. Friends, sin doesn't just have to do with outward behavior. It also has to do with the motives of the heart. These men, they were only concerned with what was happening on the outside. For them, it was, it was so easy to highlight the outward behavior of this woman, all while neglecting the sin in their own hearts. So Jesus stooped down and began writing in the dust again. And, 
And this is what happened next. John chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, with only Jesus uh, being left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and, and sin no more. Convicted by their own consciences. One by one, the accusers left the scene, starting with the oldest. And, and I've often wondered, why does the Bible give us that detail? Why did God give that to us? He could have just said they began slipping away one by one. But why did he mention the oldest first? You know, and maybe it's because you're, you're older, you've had more time to live. Maybe you've had more sin in your life. For these men, more things were coming to the surface that had never been dealt with before. After he finished writing in the dust, he stood up and he said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them stick around? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Again, we have to pause and remember this woman was guilty. And all of us are guilty in the eyes of a perfect and holy God. I would say that until we, we see ourselves as sinners, we won't see our need for a savior. And I think that's a lot of people's issue when it comes to faith. They, they believe in God, maybe in the way that, that the demons believe, but they don't see themselves as sinners who are in need of a savior. We often think too highly of ourselves. Until we see ourselves that way, we won't see our need for Jesus. So Jesus looked at this broken woman who had been publicly shamed by everyone in town. He said, where are your accusers now? You know, didn't even one of them stay behind to condemn you? And then verse 11, she says, no, Lord. And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus forgave her that day and told her to go and sin no more. Now notice what he didn't say. And this is just as important as what he did say, I think. He didn't say, now that you're forgiven, you know, just try your best not to do it again. You know, grade on a curve and give you a B plus. He didn't say, I understand that you're a product of your past. This is something that we like to use in our lives a lot. Maybe as an excuse. He didn't say, I know you're a product of your past, a product of your upbringing. I know you've had issues with men in the past and you've been looking for love in all the wrong places. He didn't say that. He didn't say, just try your best. Don't commit adultery anymore. Instead, he said the same thing to her that he says to us. He says, go and sin no more. And don't miss the urgency behind his words. Uh, some translations, I would say more accurate translations to the original text, say, go now. Go now and leave your life of sin. I don't think this was a warning as much as it was a declaration of truth to this woman. Jesus was saying, you can be free now. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. Go now and leave the darkness behind. Step into the light. The same voice that spoke to this woman, I believe, is speaking to many of you today. God is saying you can be freed from the bondage of sin. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. In a room this size, there are certainly those here today who are flirting with adultery. Maybe even straight up living in it. There are those in this room who live in the sin of pride. 
you've camped out there, who sin, uh, who, who live in the sin of greed. You just want more. The sin of anger. You're, you're angry all the time. And, and not righteously so. You're just angry at people. You're angry at God. You're angry at your job. You're angry at the world. There are those in this room who are living in the sin of envy and gossip and laziness. I mean, the list goes on, but friends, see the truth behind this text today that in Christ, these things don't have to control our lives. The law reveals our sin. It brings it to the surface, but God's grace is revealed in Jesus. God's gift of grace and forgiveness is available for everyone. That leads us to our third and final truth, that the light reveals our present and future hope. The light is what reveals our present and future hope. John chapter 8, verse 12. This is our, our memory verse today, and it's the verse where um, the second I am statement comes from. So now understanding the context that Jesus was standing in the middle of the crowd. He was standing next to this woman. This is what happens. Jesus spoke to the people once more. So now he's talking to everyone who was witnessing this. He says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, You won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. I think the previous verse can sound a little preachy or a little judgy if you stop reading before verse 12. It kind of sounds like Jesus was saying, you know, just stop sinning. I forgive you, but you need to shape up. And that's kind of how we respond to other people's sin sometimes. It's like, yeah, I love you, but you need to shape up. You need to stop sinning. And and we, we have maybe the truth, but we don't pair it with grace. You know, we're told that we're supposed to pair grace and truth. And where do we learn how to do that? In the life of Jesus, in the words of Jesus. Jesus wasn't saying, just stop sinning, you know, I forgive you, shape up. And we know that because of verse 12. Jesus was encouraging her by teaching her about how she doesn't have to live in darkness anymore. And you know why she didn't? It's because light was now on the scene. She could live differently. Because of who Jesus is. And because all roads lead to the cross where he would die for her sins and for the sins of the whole world. She no longer had to live with the guilt and weight of sin on her back. Jesus would carry that weight on the cross. Jesus spoke to the crowd once more. He says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. I love this quote from Pastor Craig Rochelle. He was uh, commenting on this very story. He said, there's not enough darkness in the world to put out even the smallest flame of the smallest candle because darkness never defeats light. Think about that. The good news for us today is that God is not some distant, disconnected God. He's a close, personal God who has come to be our light And when you know Jesus, when you believe in him and submit your life to him, you no longer have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Satan, the accuser, wants you to believe the lie that you cannot live for Jesus and that your life will always be controlled by sin. It'll always be controlled by shame and by guilt. But Jesus, the light of the world, 
wants you to hear and believe the truth that when you follow him, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. You can step out of the darkness and into the light. So God's law reveals our sin. It brings it to the surface. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And until we see ourselves as sinners, we're never going to see our need for a savior. We have to see ourselves accurately. But it doesn't stop with the law because God's grace is revealed in Jesus. And while Satan wants to accuse us, God wants to free us from the power of sin. The Bible talks about before we know Jesus and before we, we walk with him, that we're, we're like prisoners chained up and bound up. And those chains are, are, are sin. That's what controls our life. That's the authority in our life. But Jesus comes along and he breaks the chains. And we no longer have to live under the authority of sin. That no longer controls our life. Now we live under the authority and the power of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's why the light, which is Jesus, reveals our present and future hope. Uh, We have hope as we live for Jesus in this life. And we're still going to wrestle and we're still going to struggle with sin. We still have a sin nature. Paul talks about that so clearly, again, referring to his own life. But we see that we have hope in this life and we also have hope that our eternity will be spent with God. Solely because of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on the cross in our place. So don't miss these last few verses. I'm going to reread them. And this will conclude the message today. It says, Then Jesus stood up again and he said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And I would say, friends, where are your accusers at today? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life.